Well, hello, beautiful. Hello there. Hello. My name's Forrest. Forrest Gump. Hello, John. Hello, John. Hello, John. <laughs> hello. Hello, John. Welcome to the party, pal. Hello! My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Oh, hi, Mark. Hello, Neo. Do you know who this is? Hello, Poppy. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Be Kind, Please Rewind, a 90s movie podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Kevin. Here we are, moving on to our second episode, and we're in February of 1990. Chris, it feels like we've done a lot of these episodes, but somehow this is only our second. Yeah, it's very confusing. Um, I will have to say, uh, we kind of feel like we had a little spike in uh, movie watching experience here today, no? I guess. I mean, I watch movies, so... I'm it's not what I was saying. Pretty experienced. I was saying a spike in like the movie quality got a little bit better this month, Kevin. Oh, I had no idea what you meant. <laughs> clearly I was not speaking clearly. Okay. Well, uh I think that the movies that we watched this month were trash. They were trash, but we did have a little bit of a gem uh diamond in the rough here. Yes. There was one movie that was fantastic and, and uh I loved it and I was pleasantly surprised and i'm going to tell you that i will never watch this movie again yeah i felt the same way uh we're gonna get to that and much much more as we move on to the episode but just in a rating aspect if we put january at a zero out of ten because it was a zero out of ten i think i'm putting february at a two out of ten well i would be inclined to agree with you i haven't heard of out of 18 titles i think i haven't heard of virtually any of them i mean uh maybe two or three i i was familiar with and uh wasn't happy with doing the research on this stuff so and one of the movies that we were familiar with happens to be the worst movie that we watched this month and probably the worst movie of 1990 going through all the movies for the rest of the year. <laughs> might, that might be so all right, let's get right into it. I'm going to kick the month off with number 17, a wonderful film that everybody's familiar with called Torrents of Spring. Oh, this is one of my favorite classic movies of 1990. You know how many times I've watched this movie before? Zero times. The same as everyone else on the planet. Zero times. I think maybe 50 people have seen this movie ever. Well, it grossed $111,000, so let's do the math. How many people saw that at a $15 movie ticket? Well, in 1990, it was probably a $5 to $10 movie ticket. Uh, call it call it $10, just for argument's sake. So that means 10,000 10, people. 10,000. 10,001. <laughs> it sounds, <laughs> sounds about right. All right, so this is uh, Timothy Hutton. Which Who's that? I don't know who he is, yeah, but he's the I. lead. Uh, Natasha Kinski and... Valeria Golino, who is the uh, the main actress in Hot Shots and Hot Shots Part 2. Let me ask you, was she in anything else? Maybe, but... No. I, just well, never, I never heard of her either. I, I know who she is now that Hot Shots, but... Right. That was my point of it. bringing up Hot Shots. Also, oh, I understand. William Forsyth. Uh, it's a romance, drama, love triangle story based in 1840s Europe. Who cares about 1840s Europe? What happened in the 1840s in Europe? I'd argue nothing. <laughs> All right, number 16, The Haunting of Morella. I've heard of this one. Uh, this grossed almost 600000 Nicole Eggert from Charles in Charge. Charles in Charge. I'm not doing that. Please sing the whole thing. No. 
All right, it's a horror movie about a witch put to death in colonial America. Uh, she tries to come back years later through possessing her daughter's body. Can I say, though, I like a good witch burning movie. I don't know why. Like the uh, what's that? What's that movie with like the uh, witches are all running around in uh, the Salem witch trials? It's not a movie. It's a play. But I, I loved that when I was in high school. Well, you would have fit right in in colonial America then. <laughs> all right. I would have attended a, a witch burning. You might have incited a witch burning. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> Number 15, The Blood of Heroes, grossed 882000 Uh Rutger Hauer, I'm sorry, Rutger Hauer, Delroy Lindo. Delroy Lindo is the cop in Gone in 60 Seconds. I love Gone in 60 Seconds. Fantastic movie. Uh, directed by David Webb. Um, he uh, only has two directing credits, but he wrote some fantastic movies. Wrote Unforgiven, wrote Blade Runner, and 12 Monkeys. Love uh, Blade Runner. Love 12 Monkeys. If you haven't seen Unforgiven, you need to watch that movie. Sounds like I need to see a movie then. Uh, the plot is uh, really ridiculous. In the future, six people travel from place to place playing a brutal form of football with a dog's skull. What's so ridiculous about that? Doesn't everyone play football with a dog's skull? In the future, I suppose <laughs> they do. All right, number 14. So that's a dystopian future movie? No, what's so weird about it? You're right. Dog skulls are normal. I'm in. I'm in. No, also, I think I said... Oh, I didn't say in the dystopian future. My but apologies. it is a dystopian future, I'm assuming. Well, it must be, yes. Let's just... <laughs> let's take that leap of faith. All right, number 14, Where the Heart Is. Uh, gross 1.1 million. Dabney Coleman. He's first rate. Uma Thurman. Love Uma. Crispin Glover. It's actually a lie. I hate Uma Thurman. Christopher Plummer. So we got Crispin Glover. Fly. Uh, yes. Director John Borman. Uh, directed Deliverance, Ex- Exorcist 2, Excalibur, which is uh, widely enjoyed by many people, which I didn't like the movie. Wait, what was the first movie he, you said he directed? Deliverance. Yes. I wanted to do that. Also, a movie that I love because Elena made me watch it, my wife, The General with Brendan Gleeson. It's an Irish movie, and it's really, really good. Um, this is a comedy where Dabney Coleman plays the lead and it has a bit of a, uh, convoluted plot. So is this where he's, is this the movie where he's a cop? No, no, that's a different Dabney Coleman movie. Yes. Okay. All right. Number 13, Courage Mountain gross 1.4 million. Charlie Sheen in a version of Heidi. So Charlie Sheen collecting a paycheck. I'm assuming. Well, he grossed $1.4 million. Charlie Sheen is already, you know, Charlie Sheen. Do we have a budget for this movie? I don't have the budget. I should have looked that up. I apologize. But there it is. All right. Uh, Honestly, though, who cares? Number 12, Mountains of the Moon. Grossed $4 million. Now we're raking in the the box. Adventure drama expedition to find the source of the Nile River. Right there is a plot that I can really get on board with. (laughs) I always wanted to know about the source (laughs) of the Nile River. Uh, Wait, wait. But who sat back and was like, you know what? I got an idea for a movie. Listen to this. Listen to this. Guy searches for the not the Nile River, but where it comes from. But who bought it? I want to know. Like (laughs) who who pitched it is fine. Who bought it? Anyway, uh, directed by Bob Rafelson. Uh, He directed The Postman Always Rings Twice. Uh, I wrote down that this movie has nobody in it worthwhile. (laughs) 
Sounds like a common theme in, in this month. In February of 1990, <laughs> you had nothing to watch. Uh, number 11, Heart Condition, grossed uh, just over $4 million. It's a comedy about a racist cop who receives a heart transplant from a black lawyer who he hates. Uh, then he returns as a ghost to ask the cop to take down the men who murdered him. Wait, hold on. Did you hear what you just said? Yeah, I said a lot of <laughs> things that didn't really sound like they go together. Uh, oh, but here's the Wait. so here's the rub though. This is with Bob Hoskins and Denzel Washington. You love Bob Hoskins. Okay, so I'm does not everybody saying else? I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying you love Bob Hoskins. Well, listen, if you don't love Bob Hoskins, He's we should me. We should we should probably do another podcast. I, I do love Bob, Bob Hoskins. I gotta say, from one of our our all-time favorite movies. He's also in a lot of movies that but he's very good in. But that's where he stands out to for me. Yeah, well, I'll give you that. Given the 90s, Smee and Hook, directed by um, Steven Spielberg. How could I forget that? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a, And with Robin Williams, and I could go on and on. Whatever, we'll be there in two You years. know what? Why don't we just make this podcast about Hook instead? We literally bring it up in both episodes already. Uh, I'll bring it up every episode. Let's it do could it. be a That's running me. theme. All right, sounds good to me. But Denzel Washington. Wow, early early Denzel making the rounds. Listen, if you've seen one Denzel movie, you've seen them all. Well, you've seen all of his characters. <laughs> yes, which is one character. All right, moving on. Number 10, uh Loose Cannons. Uh, here's another good cast for you. This one grows 4.4 million. Gene Hackman, Dan Aykroyd, Dom DeLuise. Directed by Bob Clark, who directed A Christmas Story. Now, if that ain't a winner, I don't know what is. Uh, stories about an unconventional cop who doesn't take any quote-unquote bull is paired up with an amazing detective to capture some powerful criminals, but the cop soon realizes that his by-the-book partner has quote-unquote again split personality disorder. So, it's a buddy cop movie where the one buddy has lots of buddies inside the buddy. <laughs> All right, <laughs> moving on. I want to watch this though because I, I like Gene Hackman and I love Dan Aykroyd. Dom DeLuise, he never disappoints. I I would argue that all Dom DeLuise does is disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> all right, number nine, Stanley and Iris, five point eight million. Jane Fonda, Robert De Niro. This is absurd. This that uh Jane. Well, look, Jane Fonda, whatever. But Robert De Niro movie grossed. Under $6 million. A struggling widow falls in love with an illiterate short order cook who she teaches to read and write in her kitchen each night. That sounds what, like... An, what better way to spend two and a half hours? <laughs> I, now, I, this movie should be about 35 minutes. I long. have to say, though, judging by the, this time, Robert De Niro is beyond Robert De Niro, right? He's already, he's he's currently, when this movie is coming out, he he's already wrapped filming on Goodfellas. So he's Robert De Niro, clearly. Raging Bull is in the past. Uh, everything. everything. What do you mean? Oh, his, all of his movies, right? Everything. Taxi Driver, yeah. which made him famous. Everything. So in a movie where he's only grossing less than $5 million, I have to imagine this is an indie film, something that he did on the side, wanting to like up his artiste. Yeah, well, uh, he did a lot of that in the beginning. Right, but 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 actors do this throughout their entire careers. I'm just saying that's probably what this movie is. Yeah, I don't think this was ever intended to be a box office smash, but I mean, still under six million dollars, so it was a failure at by any measure, I would guess. Uh, Number eight, Men Don't Leave, uh, gross six million. Jessica Lange, Kathy Bates, Joan Cusack, Chris O'Donnell. Have I have I told everyone about my despise of Joan Cusack yet? No, uh, 
I don't think so, but here's your opportunity. I hate Joan Cusack, everything she does. With the exception of Jesse and Toy Story, I don't ever want to see or hear Joan Cusack. See, I would agree in the sense that like she definitely couldn't carry a movie, but she's amazing as like the sidekick. I wouldn't say amazing, but she's definitely she holds her own as the sidekick. I'll give you two examples. Number one, gross point blank. Ever see that? It's been a long, long time. She's she so she's John Cusack's secretary in the movie. She does a fine job. Number two, coming up very soon, My, My Blue, Blue Heaven. Heaven. I knew you were gonna say that. Yeah, and I love My Blue Heaven and Joan Cusack. Fine, she doesn't ruin the movie, but she. I, I don't feel like she adds anything great to the movie, but her character doesn't need to, so it's fine. Whatever, I'll deal with Joan Cusack in that movie. She could she could easily be replaced by virtually anybody right. else, which is I what agree I'm with that. But she doesn't. She doesn't ruin it for me. She doesn't ruin the movie for me either, but I honestly, I don't know. I despise Joan Cusack. That's just the way I feel. Okay. Well, you're entitled to your opinion. It's a comedy about a mother of two sons who finds life considerably difficult on her own after the death of her husband. Uh, Because of debt, she must then move them to Baltimore and deal with the hardships and all that comes with the city life. So I guess a character piece, I don't know. I've never heard of it. I've never seen it. But here You're we never going to see it either. No, I'm not. No. Chris o- but Chris O'Donnell's in. You love Chris O'Donnell. No, that's not true. I love <laughs> one role Chris O'Donnell has been in. And it's, I, I would, it, with looking through it objectively, I think that he does a bad job <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> He's but, talking about Three Musketeers. Yes. All right. So number seven, flashback, Dennis Hopper, Kiefer Sutherland. Again, two great actors. This movie grows $6.5 million. Uh, FBI man John Buckner escorts Yui Walker back to jail for offenses dating back to his days as a celebrated hippie radical. After Walker dupes Buckner on the train, he falls into the hands of couple of a couple of well-meaning refugees from the 60s. The two men, uh, apparent, with apparently nothing in common, find themselves on the run together. I don't know, man. Well. Kiefer and Kiefer's De- pumping out a lot of movies in the '90s, though. You look throughout a lot yeah. of movies. I can in think the of 90s. two off the top of my head. Three, but- including this one. Oh, true. This right, right. Two others. I'm saying, but there's definitely more too. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll get to it. I mean, I don't know. Kiefer Sutherland, Dennis Hopper. You could definitely do worse. Yeah. Number six, Nightbreed. Uh, grossed eight million on the button. Apparently, it's a horror movie about a troubled young man drawn to a mythical place called Midian. Median, I guess, where a variety of friendly monsters are hiding from humanity. Meanwhile, a sadistic serial killer is on the loose. Directed by Clive Barker, who wrote Hellraiser, uh, Nightbreed, and Candyman. So I guess a, I guess a pretty renowned horror movie writer slash director. This is probably one of those B movies, B horror movies, right? That people love. I, I would think earned enough money to fall into that range. Well, look, I used to love horror movies as a kid, especially the slasher ones. So Hellraiser, uh, Candyman. I don't recall ever seeing Nightbreed. Um, I mean, the plot is ridiculous though, too. So the monsters are friendly. It's the serial killer that's the bad guy. I I, I mean, yes. In since you phrase it that way, it does sound silly. But also, what horror movie written down, uh, you know, the plot of such makes sense? Probably none. And like I said, I was what I was alluding to is that you know these B movie B horror movies. I'm not a big fan. I'm not one of these B horror movie people, so doesn't interest me much. Yeah, I guess. Anyway, moving on. Number five, uh, the witches, which is from what I understand, one of your childhood favorites. Oh, this is one of, this is like, hits me right in the feels. See, this is what I want you to do though, because I I, I fanboy out 
all over this podcast. I want you to go ham. All right. So The Witches was probably my most second most watched childhood movie. The first being Hook, which we talk about all the time. But The Witches, I love this movie because I learned how to read by reading the Roald Dahl book, The Witches. Okay. So the whole plot of this movie is young boy, parents die in a car crash. He's got to move in with grandma. First thing grandma does is start teaching him about witches and how to spot witches and avoid witches because they're always after children trying to kill children because they hate children. Why? Why? Because they smell like dog poo. <laughs> I, I know there's more to it than that. I haven't watched it in a long time. But basically this movie, that him and the grandma go to this hotel and they happen to be at the hotel the same night as a witches convention. Mm. And the witches disguise themselves as regular people and they rent out a, a convention center. Wait, so when you say convention center. I mean like a convention, like... It's like you ever stay at a hotel and yes. they have all the big posters. Like a up. Marriott. Yeah, like a Marriott, something like that. It's, not, it's um, not a Marriott, but I'm, curi- lines. I'm curious to know if they're witches and they're renting out the convention center. Do they advertise the fact that they're witches or is there like. <laughs> no, I can't remember. There, there is a there is like a, a thing. There's a theme of that they use as their headline that's not the real reason they're there okay all right well then i'm, <laughs> then, I'm, bo- I'm on board then, then they, they lock the doors to the convention center they all take off because oh, witches don't have hair they all have long noses and they all have square feet well, so, this now sounds absurd <laughs> so when they lock the door they take off their wigs they pull off their masks and they take they kick off their shoes that don't fit their feet properly that's like a Big part of the movie. Sounds like what I do when I get home. <laughs> Regardless, they turn the kids into mice. They chase the kids. and Yeah, so I don't remember seeing this movie, but I remember somehow uh, this vaguely children being turned into mice, and I guess it's from this movie. Right, and I love this movie. Uh, two notable people are in it. Uh, Angelica Huston or Houston? Or Houston. Like, Houston, yeah. So she played uh, Adam's family, Morticia. Oh, okay. And also Rowan Atkinson, of course, is Mr. Bean. All right. Uh, well, this movie grossed ten point three million, and um, I guess being that it's uh, coming up on Halloween season, uh, well, it's not. So, and it's February. So, I'll well, I mean, that. when when we release this, it will be almost Halloween season, and on top of everything else, they're about to release a new version of The Witches. I saw that directed by I don't know Robert Zemeckis. Oh well, um. One thousand percent watching that. So. Absolutely, gonna yeah, see I, that movie. You know, what we should do is a double feature. Watch them one right after the other and see which was better. That listen, I'm on board for that any day of the week. Uh, number four, Revenge, grossing fifteen point five million. Kevin Costner, Anthony Quinn, Madeline Stowe, John Leguizamo. How do you feel about that cast? I hear John Leguizamo and. There's only been two roles ever where I love John Leguizamo and everything else is just annoying. All I can think of is The Pest. I've never seen that movie. Well, don't, because it'll ruin everything that you hold dear in life. You ever see Carlito's Way? I have. I, again, these like... All right, so the whole reason I'm doing this... I don't know if that's a 90s movie or 80s movie. Uh, I think it's 90s. 90s. So like the whole reason I'm doing this podcast is to go back and rewatch movies that I should have been watching, that I've seen, that I loved, that I haven't watched in forever. So Carlito's Way. That's one of these movies, and we're going to get there. Also, John Wick. I mean, he has a very small role, but he does fine with it. Yeah, but also Luigi and the Mario Brothers. See, you're bringing up ridiculous movies, though. Like These are roles that nobody could have done anything with. So don't blame John Leguizamo. <laughs> 
right. Uh, very simply, a retired U.S. Navy pilot comes to Mexico where he falls in love with the wife of a powerful businessman. The consequences will be cruel and unforeseen. I don't know if that was simple or not. but Directed by Tony Scott. Directed Beverly Hills Cop 2, Top Gun, Crimson Tide, and True Romance. That sounds like a stellar resume to me. Sounds pretty good. All right, so that's it for the movies that we did not watch. Moving into the movies that we did watch, coming in at number three is Stella. Grossing. 20 million almost on the button. 20 million dollars. A movie starring Bette Midler, uh, Stella. Um, So this movie was quite a surprise for me. You know, I am not a Bette Midler fan, and... When I saw this movie on the list, I was like, oh, God, we got to watch a Bette Midler movie. And I was delightfully surprised. So I saw that John Goodman was in it. And I thought, well, at least there's John Goodman in this because I like him in most things that he's in. Whenever his roles are minimal, he's usually a saving grace for me. And then deep into the movie, I see a very young and somehow surprisingly very handsome Ben Stiller. Playing the 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 thug boyfriend who drives a Trans Am and, and sniffs coke and sniffs coke apparently <laughs> he's just playing a straight up badass and I'm like that's not Ben Stiller and he does a good job with it and yeah, he did a great job with it I so I look outside of this podcast there would be zero chance that anyone could get me to watch this movie but I liked it I thought it was a really good story I thought that it was well put together. And I enjoyed the movie, and I'll never watch it again. <laughs> so the plot of the movie is uh, Bette Midler is a, uh, a bartender in upstate New York. High school dropout. High school dropout. Um, gets asked out on a date by none other than Stephen Collins. Uh, yes, um, Reverend Camden from Seventh Heaven. Uh, you don't never watch Seventh Heaven, my God. No. Heathen. Um, so anyway, so she he... he Pushes her to go on a date. They go on. They have this like three month fling at the end of which she ends up pregnant. And Stephen Collins is a doctor. So like from opposite ends of the world. And he's got a job in New York City and he needs to leave. And basically they decide to go their own separate ways. And Stephen Collins doesn't need to be part of the child's life. Yeah. So then the movie from that point follows the the daughter as she grows up. And just the life of the people surrounding her and and herself. So you know, it's uh, struggles of class, uh, struggles of money, struggles of love and relationships, having children. And um, it's just a, a, a tale of being a human, really, which you've seen, I'm sure, hundreds of times before. But uh, I thought they did it pretty well. It wasn't overly sappy. I found a few sappy moments, but um, I thought that uh, it was done pretty well. Directed by John Ehrman who did a whole shit ton of 70s TVs, TV uh, episodes, random things. Um, well, he directed Roots. So that yeah, but I believe it was the TV, uh, was series, TV series, not the movie. All right. I, I may, almost made that mistake myself. And the same thing, Outer Limits, I think, was the TV series, also not the movie. Yeah. So what does your note say about the movie? Well, because Hold on, I just did want to point out that the one thing that did interest me, that I'm actually something I might want to watch, that John Ehrman directed, was the, the Atlanta Children, or the Atlanta Child Murderers. Mm-hmm. Murders. Um, it's actually was, that, that whole series of murders was in the new uh, television series, Netflix series, I think it's called, uh, oh man, what's the name of that series? Mindhunter. Mm. Uh, the, about the FBI that's 
you know, basically after serial killers. Uh, it's about a, a string of child murderers, uh, basically under the age of 16 years old, a lot of uh, black uh, boys are going missing and being found dead. And it's all pinned on this one person that's a, a photographer and he's a young college student mm. and it's a whole big deal. But the only reason I bring it up is because in this series is none other than your favorite, Bill Paxton. Oh, that's my boy. I'll watch anything Bill Paxton is in. I think it's a four episode series, so it's not anything crazy. So I want to tell you that we'll get through this movie pretty quickly, but I wrote a puke face emoji before the movie started. And then the opening scene had a saxophone playing as the background music for the opening credits. And I wrote, hate the sax in the opening credits. And then the very next scene might be my favorite scene in the entire movie. So John Goodman walks in the back door of the bar where they work, slaps some random girl on her ass. I, I took a note for that in my notes as well. And then pats the boyfriend, her apparent boyfriend on the shoulder, gives him like a couple pats. And he says, don't worry, pal. We're just good friends. It's all right. <laughs> and that, that turned me around immediately. Also, how about it? It's 25 cents for a draft beer. Yeah, that blew my mind. What well, is this? The movie's supposed to start out off in 1969. Oh, okay. Now, I, now it makes sense. I understand. Because yeah. I, I was trying to figure out the timeline yeah. and when I was looking for it. And then they're at like a fairly modern airport, like halfway through the movie. So I was like, what year is this Well, you got to remember, the girl starts off. The girl's not even born yet. Right. Not, not even conceived yet. And right. And at the end, by the end of the movie, she's getting married. So there, there's a significant you know, lapse in time. So right. I'm pretty sure the movie starts in 1969 and takes place mostly in the eighties because we fast forward to the daughter being like 16 years old. So, uh, what's your favorite scene in the movie so nominations? My, my favorite scene in the, in the movie, um, are you going to call me sappy? But there were two more. There was actually three moments that I kind of wrote down mm -hmm. one. I said when she sees her daughter for the first time, because the whole time she's struggling, like, do I keep this child yeah. or put her up for adoption? It's a, it's a whole big like trope in the movie is what is she going to do with this child? Uh, she does still doesn't know what she's going to do. She has a C-section, I guess, and she wakes up from the surgery or whatever it is. And the nurse says, do you want to see your daughter? And she says, yeah, sure. Bring her over. Mm -hmm. And then instantly falls in love with her. I thought Bette Miller made me believe that she went from not caring about this child to instantly being in love. Mm. Also to point, to expound on your point, one of, my, the better quotes of the movie is Bette Midler says to John Goodman, I never thought about having kids. What do you do with them? And Goodman says, make them go to the store for you. <laughs> I found that funny. So that was my first one. And these are all sappy. All my best scenes are sappy. It's a drama after all. I mean, I thought it was going to be a comedy and it wasn't. Oh, I'm so happy it wasn't a comedy. Yeah. Uh, the next one was when she goes to visit the girl's uh, soon-to-be stepmother, Janice, mm -hmm. to tell her that she needs the daughter Jenny to go be with them. Mm. Um, she's dancing around the whole idea. She's trying to make it something that it's not the, the, the Janice, Janice can see right through her. Um, and you can just tell it's, it was a very difficult moment for her. And again, I was sold on the, the, the levity of the situation. Like Bette Midler sold it. Well, I thought that that was like the, the selflessness of Bette Midler throughout the movie was, was, Everything was for her daughter. Right. But then at the end, I also thought that they took it too far where she's standing outside of the wedding ceremony and won't go in. Like, let's face facts. Okay. She was an, an embarrassing mother, but she was a wonderful mother as she was portrayed throughout the movie. Very loving, focused on her daughter. And like, I thought that it was 
just poorly directed that like she wouldn't go into the wedding at the very end. Her daughter wanted her there. And why? Because she's like mildly embarrassing. She's not like some crackhead or drug addict that's strung out and always asking for money. She's a normal person. Right. And when you talk about the whole idea of the movie was that she gives up her daughter to make her sure she has the better life. Well, this whole marriage is her finally having that better life. She's committed herself to the, to the, young teacher who comes from a money a family of money went to cornell not cornell brown university um so she's made it she's now succeeded her giving her daughter away has had the effect that she wanted at this point you can go into the wedding now you're right. part of that yeah. i thought that that was silly but that was the only real problem i have with the movie all right so what did you say was best scene I went the complete opposite way that you did and refused to acknowledge that I have any emotions at all. And my favorite scene was when Ben Stiller was sniffing cloak in the nightclub. I thought that was so out of character for Ben Stiller. And he did it convincingly enough where he was, he played like a real asshole. Like you really hated the guy. And I thought he did a good job. So I enjoyed that. How weird was it when he pulled off a piece of uncooked hamburger and ate it? Yeah, that was, he was pretty intense. That disturbed me. He lit his cigarette off of the grill that Bette Midler was cooking on. See, but that made sense to me. That was a real dick thing to do. Like, that made sense in that moment. I didn't understand the eating the... What's your worst scene? Uh, Worst scene? I said when she's dancing in Boca Raton. First of all, it was just like, any person alive understands that you're out of place in that situation. From... From your garb to the way you're behaving, like you, you are not fitting in. Uh, and she was, she was bedridden ill the moment before, and then she gets up and she was hasn't been sick in years. I mean, the only explanation, if I can headcanon this for a second, is that I don't know. She popped a bunch of uh, something, antihistamines or something, and was <laughs> or all, volume or volume, and was all doped up, didn't know what was going on, and that's what happened. But they didn't show us that. So, so that and the scene where she's dancing on the bar. In the very beginning. Yeah, I didn't get that. The whole burlesque, like the, the not mock the, burlesque. Yeah. yeah. But but also I, I hate when movies try to make she's supposed to be stunningly beautiful, but she's not. I mean, she's not all right. So that I'm gonna disagree with you on because if you looked around the bar, because I had the same thought. I was like, uh, you know, like these guys are going nuts over. Why are they going nuts over? Then you look at the guys that are in the bar. And they're they were subpar themselves. <laughs> they're all in their fifties and overweight. So it was like <laughs> It made sense. They could be excited about yes. Bette Midler dancing. Yes, absolutely. I'll I mean, she's got to say, she had a pretty good body. She, I was surprised at that. She did have a pretty good body. But I don't know. I'm too young for Bette Midler. I'm not too young for much, but I'm too young for Bette Midler. So, uh, Best actor, I thought, was Goodman. I, I think you were going to say Goodman. You said Goodman before the movie started. Let's yes, I did. But, you know, because, look, I thought that... I like when Goodman plays like a bit of a loose cannon, like a, a little bit of a nut job. Oh, he played the drunk of all drunks in this movie. Oh, he, yeah. He, <laughs> he threw a turkey at her at one point. He threw the turkey at the Christmas decorations on the couch. Yeah, I thought he did a good job. I was happy every time he was on screen. And I thought maybe, if not Goodman, uh, Trini Al- Alvarado, oh. who played Jenny, the daughter. I thought she did a lovely job. And just so you know, she was in uh, Little Women which we're going to actually probably wind up doing on this podcast. Yeah. Before. Worst actor? Uh, worst actor. I oh, mean, who's your best actor? My best actor was Bette Midler, but obviously for the reasons I said. I was She sold me on the movie. like Because I went in thinking she's going to be terrible. And she's a singer. I don't need to watch Bette Midler act. Yeah. And she sold me in every emotional scene in this movie. And I think emotional 
acting is is the hardest to to, to be real. I so I I just because I had to choose somebody, I chose Bette Midler. I don't know What's why. Your worst actress? Yeah, I mean, she wasn't, but there was nobody in the movie that was like, this guy doesn't belong on stage. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree, and I and that's what I said too. I I chose Stephen Collins, uh, who by the, the way, father, the fa the father, but that's only because I had to choose someone, yeah, and because you know he was accused of uh, being a pedophile in 2012. So, ooh, that's not a good accusation. And actually, he admitted to sec being sexual. Uh, he admitted to sexual misconduct with three underage girls from 1975 through 1992. Well, that's not a good look. That makes you a piece of shit. So that's why I chose him. <laughs> so also, Midler, a little trivia fact, nominated for a Razzie for Worst Actress for this film. That's, I thought that was excessive. That is excessive, and I, I want to speak to those people. Okay. Most quotable line? In the very beginning of the movie, her and uh, Stephen Collins, the father, are sharing information about themselves. Yeah. And he's all proper and she's just, you know, like a bartender and just right. this girl from the streets. And she just goes, as I was telling the Duchess only yesterday. <laughs> right. I thought that was good. I noticed that. I love maybe Goodman when he slaps the girl's ass and tells the guy, don't worry, pal. We're just good friends. It's all right. Um, or I thought the wildest thing that I could see myself saying just because it was one of the most absurd string of words ever put together she said i read in the inquire that john lennon's ghost tried to contact mother Teresa." well all right there's a sentence for you oh you know what we totally skipped over what the fact that this movie bet midler went to tell stephen collins the father that she was pregnant but before doing so she lights up a cigarette and then begins telling him how she's pregnant then she continues to smoke throughout her entire pregnancy in this movie. I guess that's 1969, though. Yeah, that, that would be acceptable then. It's good for the throat, they would tell her. Um, any other things you want to bring up about the movie before we wrap it up? I like, always, huge fan of going to the movies in a movie. For some reason, I love that. Like the, the awareness that you're making a movie and people are going to the movie. And, and when they came out of one of the movies, Bette Midler was giving her reaction to them, you know, how, how she liked the actress. And, right, and they were I, talking about other movies as, as well. Yeah. I like that. Also, I wrote the towards the end, the little boy drinking milk with dinner. People just don't do that anymore. <laughs> oh, there was one scene that I really liked. So after the PTA meeting, I guess it was, mm. she's talking to the, uh, the head of the board mm. and the woman was being just like, straight up bitch just with backhanded compliments left and right yeah yeah and bet miller just totally puts her in her place and yeah she's just like i bet you haven't been laid in years <laughs> what did <laughs> she say her legs being tight together. her legs being closed longer than something i forget what the exact quote was all right so that's all i got for stella i think out of the three movies that we watched i um surprised to say that this was my favorite and by the way the only way you're gonna watch this movie is on youtube Oh yeah, uh, you can't Spanish find it subtitles. Anyway. Uh it didn't ruin the movie, but it did make it a little bit difficult to watch. Yeah. And uh would you recommend that somebody watch this? I would. Um like I said, it's it's it, it's not my style of movie, so I really had to look at it through the lens of someone that would enjoy this type of movie, and I did, and I enjoyed it because of that. Um Yeah, you you have to go into it with the right mindset. You have to understand it's a it's a it's a it's a character piece, really. I think I would recommend to my mother that she watch this movie. Same. I wouldn't I wouldn't tell one of my friends to watch this movie. Same. You might get laughed at. 
<laughs> it's fair. All right, next up, Madhouse coming in with uh, just squeaking by Stella, 20.4 million. We will not speak of this movie with as much revere as we just did, Stella. No, well, look, I saw Kirstie Alley and John Larroquette were headlining this movie, and I immediately didn't want to watch it. So there, there's that. Yeah, I mean, why does John Larroquette have to act as if every movie is a Shakespearean play? What, why is John Larroquette the same guy in every movie? He's the waspy, uh, yuppie, uh, overachieving. He's the same guy in every he, movie. He wants to be Hamlet, I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. All right, so this movie has a ridiculous plot. Uh, Lara Kett's cousin comes to stay unexpectedly because they're broke. And then Ali's sister comes to stay because... Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Not only is Lara Kett's cousin coming to visit and stay with him, he doesn't speak to him on the phone. He sends him a letter in the mail just saying, I'm going to be there. Right. Which Lara Kett just happens to see the night before they come. Well, also, it's 1990. Why are you sending a letter? Pick up the phone. Uh, it, they have phones in the house. They get used later in the movie. Consistently. So, And then Ali's sister comes to stay because her rich husband doesn't appreciate her, some nonsense like that. Then her sister's son comes to stay, and then it's the madhouse. And apparently her son is a um, Mexican drug warlord. <laughs> <laughs> Moving keys of coke. Uh, so look, this movie was horrible. Um, there's not much I can say that was good. About there's it. nobody good in this movie. There's there's hardly any good scenes. I had one laugh out loud moment. This is my favorite scene of the whole movie, uh, where they go to uh, Venice, uh, and they go to Muscle Beach, and one of the one of the muscle guys, one of the 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 um, I don't know what. There you go. That's the word I'm looking for. Picks her up by like. Like the shoulder area and the crotch, and she goes, "Hey, watch the vulva." <laughs> I thought that but was good. But also, like two seconds later, they're in Hollywood, right? And the and he wants to take pictures with the with the prostitutes, and John Larroquette goes, "Everyone say trick." <laughs> that those two those two moments were the only moderately entertaining moments in the entire movie. What about the animated credits? Why is that a nineties thing? Why do they love that? And then even some of our favorite movies from the nineties do it. I, I and Better Off Dead, which is an '80s movie, but stupid anime. John, I think City John Slickers Cusack did it too. Yeah, John Cusack has like two or three movies where they have animated credits, and I hate every one of them. City Slickers is the best one, and I still fast forward through it. The first, uh, we'll get to City Slickers later. Let me ask you this: Why does Kirstie Alley look like she always smells like bo? I don't have an answer for that. Even when she's like dressed up. <laughs> yeah, that thought's never crossed my mind. So. She just looks like she smells. Like they're trying to dress her up to make her look nice. And she just always looks like she just hasn't showered in a week. Yeah, I I didn't get that. So, <laughs> But let me let me ask you this, though. Why did the movie open up with them like fooling around? And that bed looked like it was going to fall apart. I don't understand any of why i want to know how long they've been married because they fool around with each other like they like it's like the first time they've ever had sex like they are way too excited to be touching each other well they waited till marriage they just got married that's head, head canon bro all right okay <laughs> uh, um then dennis miller appears who's i hate dennis miller and everything he's ever been in his hair was absolutely offensive like, she's stretching all over the place but, like right in his face yeah i just had my first period why but also is okay so completely inappropriate one 
extremely <laughs> disgusting too. But three, what was that supposed to be some sort of a turn on for him? He's like, Ooh, can't wait to get into that. <laughs> there were just so many things in this movie that did not belong. All right. So worst scene because all of them, but what was the worst? The absolute worst scene to me. I, I had to, I had to put two down. There was two. One was the cat puking all over the car. That's mine. What what was the point? Not only was it absurd, and if the cat and the puke couldn't have been any faker, good, like there was no effort put forth there. There were seventeen gallons of puke that came out of that cat. What? Why was that a gag? Like that? Know. Who thought that was funny? Not not me. So that was my first one. My second one was that dance scene. My God, that dance scene. Yeah, the dance scene was atrocious. Best scene. Best scene was at the end when everything starts falling apart. Like it was, at least I saw where they wanted it to be funny. Um, like literally the, the, the proverbial shit hits the fan and everything just falls apart. There's an elephant, there's a house burning down, there's fireworks going off. It was, at least they tried, it was, right? They tried. It was mildly entertaining. And it must have cost a ton for yeah. that scene. They had eight, 800 cops rolling up on the house. I mean, they tried. Yeah, well, my favorite scene is either the trip to Venice and Hollywood, which when they walk by Man's Theater, guess what's playing? 1990, Indiana Jones. And The Last Crusade playing at Man's Theater. I didn't even notice that. That's great that I thought that. That's good. And then so if it's not that, then uh, the Pudge home video scene where they're laughing at how fat he used to be. But I don't know. Something about people laughing on screen normally makes me laugh. So I thought that was... I guess slightly entertaining. Uh, Best actor. I grew you... up as the fat kid, so that was offensive to laugh. Well, trigger warning. <laughs> There's going to be fat, fat shaming. <laughs> All right. So, best actor. Do you have one? Because yeah, I don't. I do have one. Yeah, please. No, here's my. Listen to my reasoning. Okay. So, I chose Bernice, played by Jessica uh, Lundy, is her name. Uh huh. And the reason why, I assume that the character was written to be annoying. And she was fantastic. <laughs> That's fine. Worst actor? I said John and Kirstie. They're both terrible. Well, listen, I can't take anything that Kirstie Alley has ever done. None of it has ever been good for me. Least- John Larroquette, I found surprisingly unannoying. I thought that he was tolerable at best. And it's just his pompous attitude with everything well, he does. Well, he's smug. He's elitist. Smug, oh. waspy, yuppie. That's him, and that's why I hate but him. But that's like the, the, the quintessential person I hate. But he's not. He's supposed to be playing someone I'm rooting for. When we get to Richie Rich, he does a great job of playing that guy because I mean, you're supposed to hate him. But yeah. in this movie, I mean, come on. What about the cat dying and coming back trope? That was... Oh, annoying. I had that in my notes. Uh, cat died three times, came back. <laughs> the running gag with the cat, dot, dot, dot. Sucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Madhouse, would you recommend it? No. 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 I would not recommend that to anybody. All right. So moving on. Oh, wait. Yeah. I did notice at the end of the movie, they left it open for a sequel. Oh. I wonder if that sequel ever happened. I was probably dozing off by then. <laughs> Her mother calls and says she's coming to stay with them. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right. So coming in at number one, hard to kill. Steven Seagal. Grossing $47 million, which is a decent number, I guess, for the shit list of movies that came out in February of 1990. So, what's it about? Um, cop is uh, trying to catch a dirty politician right. who's setting up a hit. Right. Cop gets followed home by dirty politicians' guys. They try to kill him and his whole family. Yeah. He goes into a coma for seven years, and he wakes up. 
So why does he wake up from the coma with a goatee but not a full beard? Well, they do explain later on that um, Kelly LeBrock was shaving that goatee. So there's a lot that I want to talk about, and none of it is positive for this movie. Why is Kelly LeBrock... So he Seagal's, and I'll get to the more of the plot in a second, but I need to address the fact that Seagal's in a coma. Kelly LeBrock is a nurse. She lifts up his uh, his his bed sheet and says he's she's begging for him to pull through it and says, besides, you've got a lot to live for. And then the one of the worst jokes ever written. I don't know who ever decided to do it again because it's done so many times. She says to him in the hospital while he's in the coma, would you like a little pussy? And then hands him a kitty cat. The man's in a coma. I'm not gonna lie, I laughed pretty hard at that. I thought it. I thought it was atrocious. I, I, and where? Why do you have a cat, a kitten in the in the hospital? And why are you giving it to a man that's in a coma? I do like that they. She was working at the Southern California uh, Coma Research Center, <laughs> and seemed to somehow know nothing about how comas work. And was only rooting for him to survive of all. The, by the way, there's a ward full of coma patients. Yeah, but up and down the hospital. Also, was she wearing the flare as a nurse? So <laughs> I believe she was. I, I was counting was. her quote unquote pieces of flare. There was a no smoking pin, a we try harder pin, and for some reason, no f word. So it said no, and then there was an f with a red circle and a slash <laughs> through it, and then word underneath. What's the point of that? Well, because you're not supposed to curse in hospitals. Okay. <laughs> this is 1990. They were probably smoking in the well, hospital. Well, but I don't understand this. All right. So Steven Seagal was this badass cop. He's in the coma for seven years. He wakes up. And Kelly LeBrock does not know him, does not know any of his family. Well, but she's seen his penis. So that that's the motivating factor. I guess here. that's it. But she's just so willing to throw her life away to help this man. Is she also? Why does she fall flat in this movie? Like I thought that her performance was atrocious. And how do you go from being utterly captivating in Weird Science to whatever this is? I mean, I don't think she was any better in Weird Science. I just think she played a different role, and it was just like she was. I, I kind of felt like she just gives the same performance in every movie she's in, which is just Weird Science and this movie. <laughs> well, what about the Hollywood Italian accents? The forget about it. It was fantastic. The overhears and he was supposed to. I, I don't. I didn't know what was going on there with the mob guys. Whenever you heard them talk, it was just an absurd Hollywood Italian accent. Like I, this movie, just the action was what you would expect it to be. That's really all I. Can but do you appreciate? Like, like, okay, so there are guys out there that that love a Chuck Norris film. I can't tolerate a Chuck Norris film. Do you like Steven Seagal's brand of action? No, not necessarily. But like, I didn't hate watching this movie. Like, I didn't. There was no point in this movie where I was like counting. It wasn't like with uh, Madhouse. Madhouse, where I was literally every five minutes like moving the dials so I could see how much time was left in the movie. Mm. I wasn't doing that with this. Mm. Um, I I found it to be humorous, not because it was trying to be, but because it was just that dumb. Mm. Um. I don't, I don't know. know. I thought. Oh yeah, I did. Here are my notes. Bad guys are overly Italian. So you agree with me <laughs> that there were poor Hollywood Italian accents? Yes. Okay. And Seagal fucks up a bunch of liquor thieves, but lets the owner die. Wait, wait. So <laughs> twice. Why? Why is Seagal's 
trope, his thing, whenever he's in almost every action movie he's in. There were two Seagal movies that I really liked. This is not one of them. Uh, I really like uh, Under Siege. And what's the one with anybody seen Richie? I couldn't tell you. Out for Justice, where there's so many quotable lines that come from that movie. Again, the overly Hollywood Italian accents, but he's like, he shoots the gun in the bar, like just lets off a shot, pointing up. He's like, you're going to kill somebody upstairs. He's like, but there ain't nobody upstairs. He's like, how'd you know? Would you bust in the joint? <laughs> so well, yeah. I thought you were going another way with this because two times in this movie, Seagal has a gun. Right. Yeah. No, that was my point. I'm sorry. A long way to go to make my point. But he has weapons. And because he's way too badass, he has to give the bad guy his weapons and, and, and kneel down and get on his knees to fight them. So it's fair. And then even then it's not fair. So apparently Seagal is the baddest man that ever walked this earth. Do you know, though, he's actually like a he legit is like a judo black belt yeah. teacher master. Like, all that stuff is real. I'm also sure that he's a narcissist, and this is just to feed his ego. Well, I mean, I would imagine that most leading men in Hollywood are narcissists. Right, so. but he's such a narcissist that he doesn't care about the movie, just about him looking better, which makes him look worse. Right, <laughs> that I agree with. So, uh, best scene, worst scene? I don't have a best scene. I have a best scene. Go ahead. Escape from China House. Was that was yeah. that the shootout? That was the shootout in the China That's House. my worst scene. I thought it was I thought it was so absurdly poor. That's why I thought it was great. Fine. Like if you if you're in that mood, okay, then that was a great scene. People jumping off the top of buildings, uh doing rolls. Yeah, the the worst the the worst diving through windows. The worst stuntman rolls you've ever seen in your life. Like like they had to like speed up the film because the guy did it so slow. (laughs) I mean, there were parts of this scene, and I and I love the movie for this reason. They're driving away in the Jeep. Yeah, and they're bouncing around, and then clearly the stunt doubles are in the car, <laughs> wait, and sitting in opposite seats. Yes, why? <laughs> Nobody caught that. I said that was funny. I actually enjoyed that. All right, best actor. Maybe do worse. Well, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Worst scene was I don't know. I, I guess just the shootout. Yeah, I. It's either that or the second time he hands the bad guys his weapons and gets on his knees. Like once, okay, I'll tolerate it. Twice, like do something else. My worst scene was what you spoke about before was LeBrock feeding Seagal's ego and telling him he had a big dick. But he was in a coma, so right, he but, didn't get the. He didn't but get... people watching the movie saw Kelly LeBrock tell Steven Seagal that he was packing some heat. Also, what about. What about. So I wrote down that Seagal's taking liberties twice in this movie. Whenever he has, like, not even a sex scene, even though there was a sex scene, but like he's like making out with some girl and he's grabbing her ass and titties like pretty sure that wasn't scripted bro like calm down you know right like in hollywood there are definitely rules yeah like, it's a, yes it's a sex scene but keep your hands to yourself when you can yeah and he just said nope my hands were everywhere <laughs> and at one point it was his wife in the movie and she was wearing it like she was wearing a thong so like he was grabbing straight oh bare ass. yeah bare ass <laughs> he had his hands all the way in it all right uh what do you got for best actor um, I, this is just tough. I, I just Seagal was the whole movie, so I just said Seagal. I said Seagal. It's a, I, I, you get what you get from Seagal. Either he's your uh, brand of vodka or he's not. <laughs> so, 
Worst actor, I think we're going to say LeBron. Yeah, because they, they were the only two actors in this movie, really. She was just atrocious. Uh, Most quotable lines. What did I say? <laughs> Let's go, guys. I'm missing the Oscars. Yes! <laughs> I wrote that, too. But he's he's recording the the... Uh, the politician setting up a hit and all he can worry about is getting out of there to go watch the Oscars. I love that though. What about what about after the after the shootout scene? They're getting shot at for five straight minutes. They run out the door. They get into the into the Jeep or whatever it is, and she says, Oh, I forgot to lock the door. <laughs> I actually missed that. That's funny. Or how about how about Seagal screaming, That's that's for my wife. Fuck you and die. <laughs> I liked <laughs> The, the other cop who's protecting Seagal the whole time and hi- is hiding his that yeah, is still alive. Yeah, yeah. He goes, he was the most unstoppable son of a bitch I ever knew. And the other cop is like, well, he was stopped tonight. <laughs> that was good. Clever. Yeah. <laughs> also, at the end of the movie, he finds out that it's the senator that's the bad guy and he goes to the senator. I'm going to take you to the bank, senator. To the blood bank. <laughs> The the worst version of an Arnold Schwarzenegger line you could ever deliver. I also found so I found this interesting. Lastly, we'll leave it at this. Bruce Malmuth M A L M U T H was the director. I like that he was born in Brooklyn, native New Yorker, nineteen thirty four. Died unfortunately June twenty ninth two thousand five. Um, he was the ring announcer in the Karate Kid. That's a, that's actually really interesting, yeah. I like that. So the, before getting into the film, this is also interesting. Before getting into the film, he directed the Yankee games when they were on WPIX, huh. Channel 11. Wow. I know you're a Mets fan, but... No, that's still cool. And his son played... I don't know who this guy is. Uh, he was far down the list on, on in the credits. In this movie, his son played Danny. Uh, his name was Evan James as far as his stage name, so... I, I well, thought that was interesting. The one thing I do want to say that I haven't mentioned is I really, like, I haven't watched a Steven Seagal movie in forever. Mm. I really thought he had more muscles. Like he's just, no, like he's regular, never muscular. He's just a regular guy. Yeah. He's super flabby, <laughs> but uh, I guess his judo is enough. So That's it. would you recommend this movie? Listen, if, if you're just hanging out and it's background noise, you're having a good time drinking some beers. Yeah. Why not? I, I, I can't say yes. I, there was, there's, at least two other Seagal movies I would recommend you watch before this. If you're a Seagal fan, you could probably do worse. So I, I don't know. I would have to be pretty drunk to want, tell you to watch this movie. Well, I think what we can say though is of the three top three movies of this month, Stella's taking the cake. This is the yeah, I liked it. You know what? You know what gets me though is like it was very well done, and I liked the movie itself, but I have zero interest in ever seeing it again. Right, but. You enjoyed the one watching. I, I mean, did. I would never watch any of these movies. No, and it's part of the reason why I like doing this podcast. Also, so moving forward, next month, finally, don't, don't give away any of the movies that we're going to go but over. Finally, I am so excited for so many of these movies next month. So I can talk, not in length, but we, I will be able to discuss because I've seen some of these movies so many times. Two out of the three movies are movies I know I like. One movie I'm, you're supposed to like, so... I don't know about that. It has a certain somebody in it that I despise. So, but anyway, thanks for listening. Next week is going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, we'll Tune see in. you then.